One of our goals is to get a dialogue flowing about the stories we're telling. We're hoping that you'll join the conversation. So connect with us on social media and let us know what your thoughts are, whether you agree with what you're hearing or not. Follow us on Twitter at Cooper McKim and at WY Public Radio with the hashtag Carbon Valley Pod. World Health Organization has declared coronavirus a global pandemic. The death toll rising in the U.S., more than 60 dead, the number of cases topping 3,000. I mean, we haven't seen an epidemic, a global epidemic like this for at least 100 years. It's March 2020, and the U.S. is still in the early phase of the pandemic. States are announcing their first cases one by one, and California issues a stay-at-home order. Carbon X Prize lead Marcus Extivore is one of the many sheltered in place there. Throughout the world, it's been a day-by-day situation as news changing, or especially throughout the United States. Last week, last two weeks, everything's been changing by the day. Finalists for the X Prize are supposed to be getting to site in Wyoming exactly now. Instead, the competition is having to once again figure out next steps. And now everyone is just sort of in schedule turmoil. In one fell swoop, the future of the Energy Cosia Carbon X Prize is in question. The ITC is closed. It's not clear whether another delay or even a cancellation is down the line. There are, all of a sudden, seemingly endless new problems. For example, what the heck are international teams supposed to do now? Like Sebastian Peter in Bangalore, India. He was expecting new investment to come in before the pandemic. So these paperworks are getting delayed actually because of these issues. We are closely watching. I mean, at last moment, I mean, the investor should not uh, run away, I mean, without commitment. Wayne Song in Suzhou, China, can't make visa appointments. Even if the teams are somehow able to come this summer, will they be at a disadvantage now? I wonder about Dimensional 2. They just recommitted to the Carbon X Prize. But Brad Brennan says they're now having to consider dropping out again. Which at this point in time, with the economy collapsing, you know, might technically be something we have to do. He and CEO of the company, Jason Salfie, are on the same page. Jason says the pandemic is making everything cost twice as much. He's worried spending out of pocket could put their future at risk. But if I knew we weren't going to win that money, I wouldn't invest in certain portions of this installation. Soon, the announcement is made. The competition will be delayed another two months. Now, with a pandemic-sized wrench thrown in, I'm nervous what other changes might still be in store. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Carbon Valley. Following the race to develop an unlikely climate solution, I'm Cooper McKim. It's now spring of 2020. And the pandemic isn't just creating new problems, it's amplifying old ones. I'm sitting cross-legged at my kitchen table, wearing gym shorts because I don't have to go to the office anymore. My hair is growing long enough where old men start calling me hippie as I walk by. One day, Jason calls me up. All right, I'm recording. What's up? Um, oh yeah, so. Last time I talked to Jason, he wasn't sure they would stay in the competition. Spending a quarter of a million bucks on a purification system is an even bigger risk than it was last episode. We could be sitting on our hands for a few months and run out of cash. And so that's a, that's a really risky place to put the company as a CEO. You know, we could be just completely dead in the water. So he went back to the Carbon X Prize competition once again. And he basically said, hey guys, we should push this whole thing back until there's a little more certainty, maybe a vaccine or something. But the way it stands right now, the folks from X Prize kind of talked me into, you know, hey, look, we want to get this thing wrapped up by the end of the year. You know, what do you need to make it happen? So basically, it sounds like the competition didn't expect to need all these delays. But now, it wants things wrapped up. Which is surprising, because around this time, I hear from another finalist, Wayne Song, 
who says his technology would actually be better served if given more time. If the competition were extended, say, to the end of the year? Oh, we should be the best, okay? The competition's eye, though, seems to be on the finish line. So they offer Jason a hand. They're willing to help Dimensional pay for a purification system, plus other costs. So Jason's back in. Plus, he says demonstrating in Wyoming will be useful. They need the data either way. I'm excited to finally see Dimensional demonstrate, see how much they've scaled up since I was in Ithaca. Honestly, I'm pumped to see all the teams. Part of the draw of the XPRIZE was to allow the integrated test center to show it can be a landlord. Maybe this will give me insight into the state's future. For now, I'm just appreciating that this is finally happening and how long it took to get here. Have we really been talking for a year and a half? Yep. Wow. Yeah. Um, and now we're best friends, as you always say. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the best thing to come of this is the people you meet, right? So, so yeah, good to meet you. And um, I'm blown away by how far we've come as a company. I mean, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier. The Carbon X Prize will have served its purpose, whether we win $7 million or not, because it's putting us out in the field. We're going to get field data and it's accelerated our technology maturation here at Dimensional Energy. That conversation happened in March 2020. All of a sudden, it's August, because there's been a third delay to the Carbon X Prize competition. The deadline has fallen all the way back from August to November, a full nine months later than the original schedule. Now in August, I'm still not sure if Dimensional is going to make it to Wyoming. The UCLA team, meanwhile, has been here for months. I touch base with Brad to see how they're holding up. He says they're talking with Wyoming folks and XPRIZE right now. To uh, go over the last few items on the safety and checklist before we start finalizing our plans. So I didn't know that you guys were making your way out here. What, what is your actual timeline? So our timeline is... To be here, in Wyoming, in two weeks. Okay, so are you guys pretty much on schedule for, obviously, the post-COVID world? Is this what you were aiming for? <clears throat> oh, no, absolutely not. Like, I, don't even, I don't even make a schedule anymore. That's how, that's how ridiculous the, the world is. There's no point in us making a schedule. It's amazingly, we are somewhat on schedule. Um, we've had huge supply chain gaps, you know, things that would normally take a day, you know, it turned out to take 10 weeks to get. The pandemic is wreaking havoc on everything, including Dimensional's plans. But Jason also tells me this extra time, it's put them in a way better position than they would have been in otherwise. What a convenient extra delay. Now, many, many months later than expected, the team is packing up a 22,000-pound trailer and making the trek out to Wyoming. We're gonna drive cross country in a diesel truck and make jet fuel when we get there. You may be wondering, how the heck am I hearing Jason in Ithaca? Well, one of Jason's protégés, Aaron Breitwar, is recording some audio for me. He's actually planning to record throughout Dimensional's 36-hour road trip to Wyoming. They're set to depart tomorrow morning. Jason talks to his daughter, Lucia, before leaving. We're gonna wake up at 4.30. What? We're gonna go for a run, do some yoga, meditate, and leave. That sounds really nice. Really, really nice. As things are finally coming together for Dimensional, I think about what this all means for Wyoming too. It's a big deal to welcome five XPRIZE finalists to this $15 million site. This is finally the culmination of the earliest chapters to make Carbon Valley a thing, trying to give coal enough value to survive. The significance of the moment is not lost on state leaders. As Jason is getting ready to come out to Wyoming, a U.S. Senate committee has gathered right where Dimensional will soon set up, at the Integrated Test Center. Well, today we're here to discuss 
Wyoming's leadership in using and storing carbon dioxide emissions. Wyoming's U.S. Senator John Barrasso is a huge fan of carbon capture, particularly its ability to extend the life of fossil fuels. So, as head of this particular committee, he's gathered a field hearing meant to show the world Wyoming is leading the nation on carbon capture research. Yes, end quote. Brasso sits at a small table across from other speakers. Behind them are a collection of seats with masked audience members. The Integrated Test Center hosts research that will create new markets and new jobs in Wyoming. Through a relationship with NRG Canadian Oil Sands Innovation Alliance, or COSIA, XPRIZE, the center will welcome five teams of researchers from around the world. Imagine you're looking at Google Maps. We're now zooming out from the integrated test center in the middle of nowhere, looking at the Mountain West, the whole country, then zooming in to Dimensional's road trip, heading westward. They're still driving, and Aaron, the guy recording, is talking to Jason. He doesn't know what to expect as far as Wyoming's landscape, so he asks Jason about it. This is a pretty, like, Area 51 out there. Like, middle of the desert, like, nothing out there, just... I mean, it's, it's uh, in the words of, of Jim, you know, it's, it's, this county produces the most BTUs of any county in the United States. So they're picking up coal out of the earth and burning it to make electricity. So all these coal plants don't know that we're coming to take their jobs from No, man, this is to save coal. We're saving coal. I mean, we're saving, we're making like, clean coal. We're making coal clean. Saving jobs, man. Yeah. I love that. It kind of sounds like Jason is doing damage control. Like, no, shut up. Coal's fine. It's also a moment that highlights what a strange technology carbon capture is. That some view it as just a climate tech, while others see it as a way to prolong fossil fuels like coal is an optical illusion. Many, many hours later, Dimensional successfully makes it to Gillette, and so do I. In fact, at this very moment, decked out in my sick Volvo sedan, I'm heading over to the apartment building where Dimensional is staying. Finally, the Cole Path, the Ithaca Path, and the Cooper Path are converging. The three big paths. I know it sounds stupid, but I've been waiting for Dimensional to be here in Wyoming for literally years now. This is exciting. I walk up some two flights of stairs and find the right door. Cooper, what's up? Come on in. What up? We're sort of we're sort of creating a little germ bubble here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we hang out for a little while in their apartment, where a bunch of dudes are staying. Some sitting on a couch, others standing around. I ask about their Wyoming experience so far. I went to a place this morning to get coffee, um, and they. I walk in, and it was like it's this like genius coffee and like creative space. And I walk in, and it's like a dude hunched over a, a bar, drinking a Bloody Mary with a shot next to it, and a woman who would who said, "Oh, the coffee shop's closed. We are only serving alcohol right now." And I'm like, I'm like. Okay, where can I get coffee? <laughs> oh man, it's been a while since I've hung out with out-of-towners in Wyoming. This isn't the only culture shock kind of moment. There was that time in the car about cold jobs, or the fact that they're getting looks as they wear masks around town. It reminds me of how I felt when first arriving in Wyoming, shocked by the drive through liquor stores, or how much antagonism there is towards outsiders, like coastal folks, or even Coloradans. It makes me think about how companies adjust as they set up shop around here, that you're not just getting accustomed to a new geographic environment, but a new cultural one, too. Soon, we head over to the Integrated Test Center. This is a big deal. Dimensional is finally taking their technology and setting it up. Demonstrate it out in the field. Watch it convert carbon dioxide into something else a feat that countless international reports have said is critical to solving climate change by meeting net zero goals. 
I get out of the car and it's brutally hot with no cloud cover. I squint under my white safety helmet. So are you guys actually gonna set this up today? Yeah. I'm talking to a guy named Brian Bowman, a very chipper, mustachioed man with big white hair. He's a consultant for Dimensional. We've actually met before back in Ithaca. I put on some sunscreen, look around, and wait, wait a second. There's only one other team on site. Where are the other three finalists? I turn to Brian to ask, what is going on? Here, there's no neighbors on the next two sites, so it's going to be them and us, and that's all that's here. What do you mean there are no neighbors? Nobody's showing up because of, because of all the COVID stuff. And... <laughs> but they'll come eventually. I don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. Just a few days ago, Barrasso said five teams were coming. The center will welcome five teams of researchers from around the world. My brain is moving a mile a minute. So I head inside the ITC building to think for a second. Because, seriously, five teams won't be here? Wasn't that like the whole point of the Carbon X Prize? To provide an on-the-ground presence for actual companies doing the work? Show the infrastructure that Wyoming has to attract similar companies? Now it's just not happening? My first call is to Carbon X Prize lead Marcus Extivore. Okay. So, um, the, I think the, the update since we last spoke is that we have spent, I don't know, the better part of this year trying to figure out how we can still maintain the original vision of the competition of having all teams test at the ITC. But it turns out a whole lot has had to change. There were no announcements or anything, but guess what? The international teams are not coming. In fact, the competition has totally transformed. C4X, Breathe, and Carbon Capture Machine now have to find a site to demonstrate in their home countries. My first thought, what do Wyoming leaders think about this? Did anyone even tell them? I remember how much excitement there was about the Carbon X Prize at the beginning, what it meant to this community. Folks called it a shot in the arm. I reach out to Rusty Bell, a local county commissioner, and asked him to think back to his initial thoughts on hosting an XPRIZE competition. It's exciting to have those companies come to an area that we love so much and you get to, they get to stay in our community and, and actually live in our community for a while. And, and you never know, maybe they just learn to love it here and they want to open a business here. My first day finally watching XPRIZE teams on the ground is already not what I expected. And then I learned something else kind of important. None of these teams have plans to set up in Wyoming long-term. Dimensional wants better solar potential, so they're moving to Arizona. UCLA wants to be closer to areas with high demand for concrete, so they're moving to Alabama. None of the international teams have plans to come to Wyoming either, though the teams in Scotland and China have expressed interest in potentially one day returning. I mean, look, there's a pandemic underway. It makes sense that international teams just may not have been able to come to Wyoming, unless the X Prize kept extending. Either way, I want to know what local leaders are thinking about this. Not just the delay, but the whole competition as it's coming to a close. Are they disappointed folks aren't sticking around? Or were there different expectations than I thought? I call up Gillette Mayor Louise Carter King first. Much like Rusty, the mayor also thought that one of the teams might stick around long-term. But she also just thought there would be more of a competition presence overall. We were told at the beginning they would be here, you know, off and on during the whole process, but they don't make their presence known, you know, to the general public. And I get it. They sure don't need to. So I guess it wasn't as uh, visible. They weren't as visible as I thought they would be. And then I realized her comments don't have to do with the pandemic, really. It just amplified the problems that were already there. Think about it. She wanted more sustained activity. That wouldn't have happened pandemic or not. Teams were always just going to come for a few months, never several years. And their time in Wyoming may not have overlapped anyway. As far as teams staying here long term, there wasn't really a discussion about that or any incentive for the teams to do that. I asked Rusty Bell his opinion on how all this played out. 
uh, it is probably not lived quite up to the expectations because there were supposed to be five teams, I think, and they were supposed to be on the ground, and now we're going to have two. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult to say, yeah, that's a huge success. Rusty still has high hopes for Carbon Valley, though. He says the ITC is still a major success. After all, there are new tenants that are committed to coming to site. I wonder about the international finalists, too. How are they feeling about all this? They now have to find their own site to demonstrate. Turns out, they are not thrilled. Sebastian Peter with Breathe says this is all such short notice. Uh, We are facing so many problems. They were ready to compete in Wyoming. But now, everything is up in the air. He's nervous they're at a disadvantage if their demonstration is located so far away. Wayne Song with C4X says after so many delays, the XPRIZE is kind of stalling them from becoming a standalone business. He says they could be making money right now. But uh, since the carbon XPRIZE, uh, we cannot uh, operate like a company because a company, the investor, everybody wants us to make a product to sell. But uh, as I told everybody, and also resistant to investors push because the investor want us to give up the carbon price. So Wayne says they're ready to be done. This makes me think about the competition in general. It's meant to help teams, but now it may be hurting some of them. The team in Scotland, they've just kind of given up. I think the window of opportunity might have closed for us with XPRIZE. So, yes, the pandemic really hurt the Carbon XPRIZE. But issues were already there. Teams already questioning whether they could be ready in time, never planning to stay long-term. I asked Marcus Extavor about all this. First, he says, what choice did they have? It's basically illegal for teams to travel to the States right now. Setting up in their home countries gives the prize a chance to emphasize the international angle. As for the local disappointment, he says this is certainly not the vision he had in mind. But as far as extended on-the-ground activity, that was probably never going to happen. I'm glad, you know, glad, glad you're asking. I think it's possible to misconception. I think maybe where that misconception comes from is the idea that finalists would have to be on the ground maybe for the entire five years. That's that's not the case. That was never the case, but maybe some people have that view. But I think everybody probably wanted to see more sustained activity at the ITC. At the end of the day, it was up to each company to figure out when they could get there and when they actually wanted to get there. And uh, that's the way it played out. We've now heard from the folks who are disappointed in how this all played out. But there are also many who say the Carbon X Prize is a success, that it's already done good things for Wyoming, helped attract future tenants to the ITC. I hear that from folks including former governor Matt Mead. Obviously, it'd be great to have those teams stay in Wyoming, but if their products or if their products are patented and people need that flue gas to make their product, they're gonna go to where it's available. And that is gonna be in places like Campbell County, uh, in places like Wyoming. That success can't be tracked right now because it'll take years before we know if one of these technologies really takes off, advances the whole industry to a point where Wyoming can take advantage of it. I hear the competition was never really about long-term tenants or even sustained activity, just a focus on the long-term. Meanwhile, it can shine a spotlight on Wyoming as a hub for this kind of tech. What the XPRIZE has certainly done shown state leaders just how hard this tech really is, how young it is before it can start making a difference. Here's Rusty Bell. It gives people an understanding that there is more to it and and it is more difficult and has been more difficult to do these kind of things due to permitting and that they don't just happen overnight. You don't just get selected and then six months later, you're on the ground building something. It, It doesn't happen like that. Here's what I'm struggling with. There are clearly two timelines. The one until carbon capture becomes viable, and the one where demand for coal just stops being a thing. One is happening pretty fast, while the other pretty darn slow. I'm just thinking about my past, like, four years of reporting, listening to the voices of coal miners that tell me they need answers now, 
Want to see help for workers now? Answers to the what's next question. Because decline in the coal industry isn't something new. It's faced just about the worst decade ever. Countless bankruptcies, thousands of layoffs, taxes going unpaid. And the forecast is not looking much brighter going forward. Meanwhile, I'm watching and hearing how many billions of dollars still need to be invested in carbon capture for it to reach commercial status. This disparity, it turns out, is not lost on Wyoming state leaders. As soon as 2020 rolls around, things are already looking bad for coal. And quickly, efforts to close the gap between these two timelines seem to hit a boiling point by, yes, doubling down hard on carbon capture. The year kicked off symbolically, with Governor Mark Gordon highlighting the need for this tech. This technology provides a means to continue the use of our fossil fuels while also reducing CO2 emissions. It might even make CO2 a valuable resource for other uses. The bottom line is that this technology is a priority because it will help keep jobs here in Wyoming and assure a better future for our kids. Suddenly, it's coming up all over the place. The state's university is advancing projects. Our U.S. senator saw his legislation passed to support carbon capture. A member of the state legislature even introduces a bill trying to preserve coal plants through carbon capture, ASAP. The governor's office wants this bill bad. Here's Gordon's chief energy advisor, Randall Luthi. Frankly, the alternative is to do nothing. And doing nothing will continue the path of where we're headed. Practically a free fall march of closing coal-fired unit plants before their depreciable life is over. This bill would basically require that utilities get a certain amount of their electricity from coal plants with carbon capture attached. Sort of like a renewable energy standard, but yeah, different. Dan's Wanitzer is sponsoring the bill. We're just trying to make sure both our tax base in the state, the revenue keeps coming in because nobody wants higher taxes, and to make sure that we keep those good paying jobs in some of our small communities going for as long as possible. The bill wants to see this retrofit of coal plants by as soon as 2030. Keep in mind, there are only two commercial examples of coal plants with this tech attached on the whole continent right now, with one soon to go offline. Perhaps you're not surprised, the bill passes. The desperation factor to speed up carbon capture's timeline is already high. But then the coronavirus hits, and suddenly it becomes a historically bad year for the resource. Demand is way down, and it's taking a personal toll. One month, 110 miners are let go. The next, 300, then 100, then another 80. A mine closes. The state suddenly releases an optimistic report, finding coal plants with CCUS would be more beneficial economically than renewables. Gillette leaders start paying to market northeastern Wyoming as a carbon valley. Carbon capture is coming up as a reason to stop utility from converting to more renewables and instead keep their coal plants online. We will change how we use coal in America. There's no doubt about it. In a Volkswagen car that gets 60 miles an hour when I was in high school, it took us 40 years to do it. We'll get there with carbon recapture. It's coming up in press conference after press conference from the governor's office. It is absolutely essential that we take carbon out of the atmosphere, that we find a use, a commercial use for the carbon that we extract. We're wasting as well. We're wasting. Where we continue to work uh, to make sure we have carbon capture and sequestration. and how important carbon capture and sequestration is. Wyoming has a very simple economy. Minerals pay most of the bills. That's why Wyoming is able to have this huge rainy day fund, no income tax. So if carbon capture can turn things around for coal, let's do it. Carbon capture is going to take time to, to become commercially viable. It's important that you start right away uh, because it, it just is something we're going to have to do. After the break, we move on from all these general efforts to develop carbon capture and watch companies actually develop this tech in real time. I want to recommend another show I think you'll love. Solvable is a weekly podcast where host Ronald Young Jr. asks how we can find solutions to some of the biggest issues of our time. 
You'll hear David Baltimore on AIDS, Sal Khan on basic education, and Roseanne Haggerty on homelessness. Recent episodes have focused on global hunger, our addiction to fossil fuels, eco-friendly transportation, and body positivity. These are the problems that seem too big or too complicated to fix. But in the hands of the right people, activists, scientists, policymakers, and politicians at the top of their fields, there are ways to solve them. That's the hopeful message of Solvable. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm now standing at Dimensional's corner of a dusty lot with a ragtag team of very excited individuals, which now include a woman, an intern named Adrian Lee, who went to school for biomedical and mechanical engineering. <laughs> uh, I, no one I know has been to Wyoming. <laughs> really? Yes. What's your perception? Um, honestly, I expected it to be really dead. On site, Dimensional's truck is parked in the spot where the platform will be set up. There are long metal pipes, ladders, and power cords hanging out in the ground. Everyone's wearing safety glasses and helmets. Jason spray-painted orange on his. They have a lot of work in front of them. Dimensional hopes to unpack their massive trailer in the next 10 days. Even with a million and one things in front of them, there's a real first day of camp feeling. Everyone's laughing and having fun. Jason seems almost giddy to be setting up. This is this is seriously my dream. I mean, I am like, this is like being able to actually work physically outside. This is good. I don't get to do this enough anymore. Well, there's a cool collected feeling. The stakes are actually pretty high for this team to get everything set up and working. I touch base with Brad Brennan and he reminds me what this demonstration really means. That'll be a key to the future and the results and the learnings from that are going to be the, the baseline of where we're going to be in a year or two years. And yet, there are still so many questions in front of them. What if they unpack the truck and parts are broken? Or they set up the solar tracker and it doesn't work? Jason, though, isn't feeling the nerves, partially because he's not seeing this as some vicious competition. He actually sees it as more collaborative. You know, we're our main competition. And, you know, we're going to raise, you know, we'll probably raise, you know, $100 million when this is all said and done, you know. It does seem collaborative, honestly. After all, it's in humanity's interest for carbon capture to be a thing, whether it's this team or another one. As long as folks are net reducing emissions, that's one step towards chipping away at the tens of billions of tons of carbon dioxide emitted annually. And anyway, there's only one other team on site with which to be potentially collaborative or competitive, the UCLA team CO2 Concrete. They seem to be humming along with a big shelter already set up and a whole bunch of concrete blocks outside their shelter that have already been produced. Dimensional's intern Adrian says it really looks like CO2 Concrete put a lot more money and time into their demonstration. With questions ahead for Dimensional and clear success over on the UCLA side, I really want to talk to Jason and see how things have scaled up. Are you actually confident you could compete with the other team and win? What can I expect here? Jason doesn't really have time to talk on site, so he lets me tag along when he goes to run errands. He tells me that their conversion rate has skyrocketed. When I was in Ithaca, they could convert CO2 at about 1%. But now, it's at 40%. 40 Plus, they have a way better catalyst, they have their first customer. So, yeah, Jason's feeling real confident. What I want to do is completely disrupt the aviation fuel industry with price parity, carbon dioxide-derived uh, jet fuel. So, to do that, we need the, the super-turbocharged technology that we're unveiling right now. The first form of that is going to be, you know, rolled out at XPRIZE, the ITC. The next form of that is being explored with the tail end of our National Science Foundation money and with Department of Energy grant. And so those two sources of dollars are gonna help us transform the energy industry writ large. Transform the energy industry. He says they're revolutionizing what's possible with renewable energy. He says they could be more efficient than even solar panels in producing electricity. So, with the scale-up and an eye towards the future, 
Jason is very optimistic in how far they've come, whether or not they win. We're just playing our position. We're doing our thing, getting our equipment in the ground, running our equipment, gathering data for dimensional energy, and then, you know, seeing what happens. We'll, we'll submit the data. If we walk away with seven and a half million dollars, like, will be the bonus, you know, the extreme bonus of all times. You know, either way, we're gonna we're gonna walk away with our first field data on the system, and that that will be worth Jason and I drive around for a while and just kind of chat, catch up, talk about the differences between Wyoming and the East Coast. There are many. Jason's got to pick up dinner for the gang, and I recommend Pizza Corello. It's really good and has a reputation in Wyoming for being the best pizza around. I make him bring it up on the phone call. I do that, and that reminds me, I've, I've heard that you guys are actually the best pizza in Wyoming. Is that true? Yes. That is true. I'm so I'm because I live in New York, and I'm so excited to be um, having the best pizza in Wyoming right now. So anyway, I'm just I'm super jazzed about that. So this, okay, this so we'll get this one in there. So the 1980s pizza, and then we'll put in um, add on onions on there. Yep. In the car, I also asked Jason more about Gillette. It's got a nice looking school, beautiful prairie to run in. He says the downtown is clearly thriving. And people have been really nice. Though there are definitely some cultural differences. People are super nice. I have noticed a couple people, like, you know, giving extreme stink eye to, to me and the gang. You know, we walk in places with masks. They're just like, dude, like, take those masks off. Like, what are you doing? I also asked Jason what the vibe is like between them and the other team on site, CO2 Concrete, the UCLA team. I've noticed when we're all inside the ITC building that CO2 Concrete keeps their office door closed, that when they come out, there isn't much cavorting, much camaraderie. Jason confirms there is not much of a collaborative feeling. In fact, the competition seems to have inspired some competitiveness. And it's, it's kind of interesting that there's a one-on-one thing here. Like, I, don't, I don't get the warm and fuzzies from the, UCL, the UCLA team. Like They could give a fuck about talking to me, like, like, hey, you know, what's up, how you doing, having fun out here, it's just like grunts coming at me, like, maybe they'll warm up, I don't know, but like, they, they could really care less that we're, you know, also here. Later, I ask what it was like from CO2 Concrete's perspective. They say, yeah, maybe we were giving a bit of a cold shoulder, but they felt Dimensional was taking over the space a little bit. And also, hey, this is a competition. They're not here to party with the other group. Plus, they're just careful not to give too much information away. Jason and I make it back to site. I look over at the CO2 concrete side of things, and it looks like they are still humming along. Even more concrete blocks are outside. There are contractors coming in and out of there all day. I decide to make a trip over to the other side of the lot, the CO2 concrete, who Brad thinks will take home the pot of gold. Hey, Gabe, you here? I meet up with Gabe Falzone, wearing a t-shirt and jeans, too, with hefty brown boots. What's up? How you doing, Gabe? Good, how are you? Long time. In episode three, he was the shy PhD candidate. Now, he's the shy PhD graduate. So, Dr. Falzone. Gabe and I walk out to the impressive CO2 concrete shelter. I find out that my initial impression of this team is correct. They are crushing it. They've already done half of their data collection. Inside the shelter, it's really loud, and there's a long wall of what looks like frozen clouds. That's the curing chamber. It's a modified 40-foot shipping container that we use inside that. Right now, is actually the carbonation process is happening, so the flue gas is flowing into that. To the left of the shelter are 70 tons of concrete blocks. Blocks made out of CO2 from the flue gas of a coal-fired power plant. We walk out to the back of the shelter, and finally, after eight episodes, 
I see a giant tube connecting all this technology to flue gas, carbon dioxide being captured. CO2 that otherwise would have gone into the atmosphere, but is now in a friggin' concrete block. That's wild. All you can see is like a valve that turns it open for us. Uh, there's a pressure gauge there that tells us that it's on. Have you actually ever plugged into an industrial CO2 source? Not before this. Yeah, I was pretty excited the first time we were able to turn on the blower and open up this valve and let it in. It's pretty cool. Like Dimensional, this team has made huge progress. At the beginning of the competition, they were still in the lab. Now they're showing what their technology can do, collecting better than expected data. This company is actually capturing carbon dioxide and producing a marketable product today. I just want to take a moment to appreciate that because carbon capture has been so theoretical for the past eight episodes. There are only a handful of companies in the world that are turning carbon dioxide into something marketable. They are using the raw waste of coal plants to create something, a flower poking through a cracked, eroded ground. But uh, it's real now, <laughs> it's happening. It was a pretty uh, surreal moment, all this actually coming together and being here and doing all this, especially in the times we're in now. CO2 Concrete hopes to help build greener cities in the future. While they're not carbon neutral, they would reduce the emissions from typical concrete production by up to 75%. Gabe is proud of what they've accomplished and can now see winning as a real possibility. A couple of days pass uneventfully. I split time out on dimensional site and inside the integrated test center, watching their demonstration slowly come together. Soon, a robotic arm is facing up to the sky. I guess this is the solar tracker? We gotta make it look as much like a ray gun as we can. Everyone has their task, and Dimensional moves forward slowly but surely. I learn the team actually will not be plugging into Wyoming's CO2 supply at all. Believe it or not, after all the discussion from last episode, they didn't end up using purification at all. Which means the Carbon X Prize didn't need to help pay for it. Instead, Dimensional is using bottled CO2. While all this is underway, I go work inside for a while. And then I get a text from Jason. It said, someone from the ITC called him and quote, he asked me to ask you to leave the ITC immediately. Thanks, sorry, call when you can, end quote. So I do. I, I know you've been talking with Jim, and, you know, but anyway, Will, Will just called me, he's like, is Cooper McKim there? And I said, you know, I was like, yeah. He's like, you got to get him off premises immediately. And I was like, all right. You know, he was definitely like, there was no, like, no small talk. Just kind of like, you're, you're fucking up, dude. Whoa. Um, kind of vibe. So, like, I, I just, I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know we had a, you know, I just figured, just like, I met, that's where I met you. So, uh, okay. sorry if I did something to get you in trouble. Yeah, uh, okay, yeah, I guess I'll head out. All of a sudden, Brian Bowman with Dimensional shows up at the door and says he has to escort me out. We're supposed to escort you off the premises. Did someone just come, come to you also? Jason just called me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, not the personal. I'm just a messenger. Good. I'm being escorted off the premises. He walks me all the way to the car to make sure I leave. When I get in, I just sit there, head spinning, because I did get permission to be on site. I emailed the VP of Wyoming Infrastructure Authority, Jason Baker, long before I came up, and just asked if there was anything I needed to do before being on site. It was all fine. So I gave Jason Baker a call, the guy who initially gave me permission. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Good. Baker explains that under COVID policies, XPRIZE teams were not supposed to have any guests on site. And Dimensional violated their lease and policy by not clearing the media request. And then... Uh, we had some complaints. Some complaints? 
Other than Dimensional and ITC staff, there's only one other tenant on site at this moment, CO2 Concrete. Baker tells me the center needs to be respectful to other teams. In the moment, I piece it together, it might have been the other team on site, CO2 Concrete. I wonder why they might have made a complaint. You know, I've spent the past two years sort of focusing Dimensional sort of my eyes into XPRIZE. And the other, and, and so, you know, as much as they are a subject, I've also become more familiar with them. Yeah. So maybe like they were annoyed that I was more familiar with them or something. You know, I, I don't know the particular circumstances. This Jason on the phone says he doesn't know what happened, but that there are technically two tenants on site. The one isn't there at the moment, called TDA Research. I reach out to CO2 Concrete to ask if it was them who made the complaint. I started by asking Gabe, who I just talked to. He says he doesn't know anything about that. So I decided to reach out to the company too. And they say, quote, no one at CO2 Concrete is aware of the issue you brought to our attention, end quote. So who knows? Either way, Dimensional gets in trouble for my being there. A few hours pass and Jason Baker calls me back and says, I can go back tomorrow. And so, as the next day arrives, I'm back, baby. I'm allowed back on site. I know what happened. <laughs> Some drama, huh? Then Jason makes it on site. Is this a breach of protocol? I got approved. Okay. I'm just checking to make sure this is not a breach of protocol. Sorry you got yelled at. That's all good. They were just testing me to see if I could make excuses from people on the bus to try to bring a lot of it. I'm back on the dusty lot. Good old me, who's been covering the competition for two years, returned for getting kicked off. I'm thinking again about the value of the competition and moving a field forward. Maybe because there really isn't collaboration between the two teams. Bad teams will only be here for a few months, seeing value and setting up shop elsewhere. That Dimensional doesn't actually even need the CO2 from this coal plant. Perhaps if there were more teams, or if the XPRIZE had a presence on site, things might feel different. New partnerships being made, sharing of knowledge. But for now, it is what it is. Dimensional's demonstration is finally starting to take shape. In fact, they're about to test if their solar tracker is actually working. This is how they're going to actually secure energy from the sun. Mihir Gata needs to get the tracker communicating with this computer. Mihir is a bespectacled process engineer. Earlier this trip, I noticed him silently standing on a stepladder, enjoying Wyoming's landscape. What happens if it doesn't work? We have to work on Then we can't control the tracker. We can't move the tracker. So what would you do? It will work. You just need to make a few changes over there. But it's taking a while, and no dice. The solar tracker refuses to move which is not good. I'm thinking back to Brad's warning of all that could go wrong, how important this demonstration is. And Adrian Lee says, yeah, something is indeed wrong. So the tracker was supposed to return like coordinates, I believe, of either itself or the sun. I mean, those two correlate, but uh, it just didn't have any value, so. So it didn't get screwed up on the drive? I don't think so. I, th I think likely there's some wire that we put together wrong. I mean, there were like hundreds of connections that we messed with, so it won't be too hard to figure it out. Or you're screwed. It's working. Oh. Hey, Cooper, how fast do you think you could get something wrong? Apparently, there was a software issue and a wire made wrong. Yes, it's moving. There we go. It's moving. <laughs> That's what we've been looking for. <laughs> Cooper! It's on the new program and it's finding its home. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> All right, mission accomplished. See you guys later. Now that it's happened? Yep. Jason walks me back to the integrated test center building. He says getting the tracker to move is a huge accomplishment. Then we kind of just hang out and chat for a while. I think I may have exhausted all my questions. 
So Jason shows me a clip of this movie called Countryman where folks are smoking these big joints. And the whole time he's got a baseball bat sized doobie hanging out of his mouth. Before I actually leave, I asked Jason to read these old quotes from Skate Magazine interviews he did once. Do I sound like Captain Kirk doing Shakespeare? To be a skateboarder is to be an iconoclast. <laughs> to be a skateboarder is to be an iconoclast. Do you, do you, do you... It's so hard to, like, act. Do you hate your past self? No, I don't hate my past self, but it's so hard to recreate it. It was much, probably much cooler. <laughs> I'm just a working stiff. Uh, <laughs> to be a skateboarder is to be an iconoclast. I'm just not an iconoclast anymore. I'm just a, I'm just a CEO of a world-changing energy company. <laughs> Take one. This is sort of an evil laugh. Take two. To be a skateboarder is to be an Next time. In the final episode of Carbon Valley, we learned the winner of the Carbon X Prize. They won because they had the best demonstration. So they had all the data required. They had 1,200 hours. Meanwhile, I return to Gillette and explore the what's next question beyond just the Carbon Valley. I feel the state is so addicted. It's like addicted to easy royalty payments and money. Like without the money, they don't know what to do. So The show is produced by Noah Greenspan and me, Cooper McKim. Anna Rader is our digital producer. Aaron Jones is senior producer. Story editing courtesy of Melody Edwards, Anna Rader, and Aaron Jones. Our theme music is by Mark Juliana, with the music you're hearing now by Vegas. Carbon Valley is a production of Wyoming Public Media. Get this on recording. Wait, hey, hey, are you recording that? Try the recorder. He's now attacking me. Yeah, let's get. If you like what you're hearing, and even if you don't, we would love to hear about it. Take a moment right now to leave a rating or review on your podcast app. It'll help new listeners discover Carbon Valley, so we can keep bringing you stories about one state's economic future.